This is an audio presentation of God First Church, Cheltenham, England. A community of Jesus followers, worshipping God first, proclaiming God first, and together living God first lives. For more information, visit our website at godfirst.org.uk. This here where I'm standing is actually an orchestra pit. And one of the things we thought that we could do was that the preacher could come up with the orchestra pit and we'd just have smoke. So if you really want that, let's pray that we fill these seats and then we'll do that kind of gig for you. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Tom says it works the other way around. So that when I'm really, like, I've gone over my time, it's like, zoom. Yeah, so I better really get going. Okay. Exciting to be here, isn't it? Exciting to be here. We've laboured to kind of get a, a, a start in this church. And I feel what the shape we've got is a great shape. But we just need to add some bulk to it now. And so I feel this, this is our season to add some bulk to what we're doing. And I thought, well, what can I talk about? So I thought I'd talk about parabolas. Jesus. Yep, we're getting there, Andy, but, you know, just we will go there in a different direction. So I wanted to talk about parabola. Now, I don't know if you... Obviously, the Parabola Arts Centre, it's just on Parabola Road, which basically means the road is curved. But actually, um, Richard, who, who's a maths geek, and Zach, who's sort of a t- uh, aspiring maths geek, uh, and other maths geeks that are in this house who work for that secret organisation down the road, would tell you that it's some kind of quadratic equation to, to make a parabola. But for us, just think a bouncing basketball. Or even, uh, just if you're kids, youth, just think McDonald's. Golden arches, two parabolas, that's what we got. Think that the, the, the Bible narrative is, is the other way around. So if you click, it should go, woo, or the other way up. The Bible narrative, or the big story of God, is like an inverted... Whoa, whoa. yeah, I really, really, worked really hard on the first slide. After that, it's a bit thin. <laughs> <laughs> but um, the, 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 it's like the, the story of God is like this inverted parabola. And I'm going to try and use that kind of image of an upside-down parabola to talk uh, this morning. Uh, but let's just talk about story a little bit first. I mean, story really matters. Don't change it. Story really matters to people. In fact, the story that you find yourself in, it, it, it defines who you are. It defines your, your meaning, your purpose, your identity. Uh, and so the, kind of the, the, the story you tell about your life really, really does matter. Uh, and one of the things that, that I've observed is that society is not really into big story. Uh, we're all in very individualistic and we're all into our own little stories. Uh, and and the, the thing about the, the kind of crafting your own little story is it, completely exhausting. Uh, trying to make yourself the hero of your own story and trying to be God in your own world and hold the world up is really, really tiring. A friend of mine went cycling with a bunch of uh, guys who don't do church and he said, you know, what I just observed was they're all tired. Uh, and, and because they're all trying to desperately, he said, that he said that it's, it, maybe it's just cyclists. They went and did the outdoors and whatever, and I was very impressed with that. But, you know, even though they're like very fit, athletic guys, they just all felt insecure. He said they're just constantly trying to present themselves. He said it was exhausting. 
Everybody's trying to present themselves. And, and the story they're in, if you want to play the lead role in your story and everybody else is supporting cast, I guarantee you're going to be exhausted. And so it's so important that we find our meaning in, 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 in a bigger story that we find our, our meaning, our purpose, our ed- identity in God's big story. And we've talked a lot at this church uh, about finding our place in God's big story. And the great thing about that is that, that Jesus is the hero. He's the one who gets it done. You know, so David and Goliath, a couple of weeks ago, it's not about us doing our best to fight the Goliaths. It's about Jesus, the great big hero, who comes and kicks the giants, and then we follow on behind. So we're in this story, but actually we're in this story because we're united to him. We're united to him as like bride and bridegroom. But even more organically, the Bible says that we're united with him. So what becomes, what's true for him becomes true for us but we don't have to craft it and energize it he just makes it happen so what we want to do with this story i want to take like uh, if you ever did gcse english there's two ways to pass isn't there one way is to watch the video which is what i did which is why i got a c and the other way is to read the beginning and end of books and i know jotham where where is he yeah he he, his way of, of like reading the harry potter books Read the beginning, read the end. You've got it. So it's interesting. Was that, not, was that unfair? Okay, that's fine. <laughs> I don't want to give him a bad, a bad reputation. But if you read the story, there's a slide here. If you read the Bible story uh, from, uh, like from, uh, from cover, if you take the Bible and you turn it up, um, you get these little chapters. You get creation, you get fall or rebellion, you get redemption, the cross, and you get the new creation. And it's almost at the beginning and end of the story on this parabola, there's like creation and creation. Creation and new creation. Okay, there's creation and new creation at the beginning and end of the story. But in the bottom, there's decreation. So it's almost like you start off with the God makes this beautiful, incredible world that's ideally adapted for us to live in. He, he, he makes the, the cosmos, his whole thing, that when God creates, he creates something and fills it. There's a little thing here. When God creates a space, he loves to fill it. Creates the cosmos, fills it with stars. Creates the earth, fills it with life. Gives us a parabola art center. Fills it with believers, yeah? Jesus followers. So God loves to do that. He loves to create stuff. And the world he made is beautiful. Perfectly adapted to us. God walks with us. We walk with him. It's almost like this is the world you wanted. And maybe if you're not a Christian this morning, I don't know. But if this, if this, you might think, I've got another world that I'm wanted. I've got another story. But actually, deep down, there's something about just a garden and peace with who we are and peace with God. And that's the, the, the world that, that God creates. Uh, and, and when he finishes, he says, it's really good. It's really good. He makes humanity. You might look at yourself in the mirror and think, man, I'm messed up. I mean, I went to Berlin. I caught myself in the windows. I had shorts on. We'd been cycling, Morris and I. I caught myself in, it sounds grand, in the Reichstag windows. And I thought, you're a fat old man. <laughs> but in my head, I'm this young, athletic kind of guy that's still got it. You know, I make jokes um, and, and people think, oh man, what is he on? And, and, and it's funny, but actually, when, whatever you're like, whether you feel great about yourself or whether you feel, man, I could be in a better shape, God declares humanity very good. When he makes the world, he declares humanity very good. And sometimes in church, the, world likes to, the, the church likes to tell you, you're really bad. But actually, God declares right at the beginning of the story, you are very good. 
Now, something's gone wrong with that because we know that the world isn't quite like that. But just hold your horses. What God does, he, he, he stoops down and plants a garden. It says in Genesis 2, the Lord God planted a garden. And it's interesting that actually he stoops down and plants this garden. All the other stuff he spoke, speaks into being, but this one he stoops down and creates. And, and we've talked about it before. It's almost like God stoops down, gets his hands dirty. I'm growing some chilies at the moment. They're doing pretty good. God stoops down and plants this incredible garden, and gets it started for us, and then puts us in it. It's almost like he's showing us this is what it should do. This is what work's going to be like. It's interesting. Greg talks about work. God starts the whole idea of work. Work's not a bad idea. It's a good thing. It's about purpose and meaning, identity. And that's sometimes bad when we find our, our identity in our secular work. But no, we've got to find our identity in God's work, which is filling this world. And so God stoops down and plants a garden. He also stoops down and creates human beings. So he makes us out of the dust of the earth. You say that at funeral services, don't they? Ashes, ashes, dust to dust. He actually literally takes, his, takes the minerals of the earth, the inorganic minerals, and makes life, and then he makes humanity and breathes his spirit into us, and we said we become living beings. We become sons of God. Incredible dignity to be a son of God. And, and Genesis describes a creation of humanity like this. Familiar verses, perhaps. Then God said, let us make mankind, or humanity, or man, depends on which translation you want to go for, in our image, in our likeness. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful, increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. And interestingly... That idea of image, if anybody remembers in the Ten Commandments, what were the Jews not allowed to make? They weren't allowed to make false idols, point to you. They weren't allowed to make images. So every other temple in the Near East had like some statue of the God. But God creates a garden, not a temple, doesn't build a building, doesn't live in buildings. He makes a garden and who does he put in it? Little images of himself. That is so important that we understand that, that we as humans are little images of God. That doesn't mean he's grey and he's got a slight arthritic hip, no. It means that we're made in his likeness. There's something about us, so you can look at the stars, you can look at the universe, you can look at beautiful creation and think, wow, that shows what God's like. But actually the truth is, when you look at humanity, that's who you see most, how most God is like. But again, something's gone wrong. It's not quite how it used to be. We're with these handcrafted images made by God to live in this garden, to fill this garden, to work this garden for some kind of purpose. So he says, doesn't he, God, God blessed them. They read it. Yes, God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase and fill in number, fill the earth and subdue and rule over it. You know, it's interesting, I'll take a dig at the South Africans, that, that traveling the world and, and having sex wasn't invented by South African gap year students. You know, the desire to travel, you're all shocked that I said that, aren't you? Come on. The desire to travel and have babies is, was, is, is God's idea. Yeah? He says, fill the world and have loads of kids. Now obviously he put a structure in place called man and wife marriage, put that in place, faithfulness, and then, but he's saying, 
have sex, have kids, fool the world. He's saying, I want to bless you so that you can be fruitful and increase and have lots of children. And that's what we've got. We've got a world that's full. It's called the creation mandate. God's desire to say, let's make babies. And Tom, yes, thank you. Tom is, he's done his bit. But actually, you know, we don't want to mention that Tom's booked himself in. But you know, the fact is, that's against, that's against the creation mandate, Tom. You've got to keep pushing them, baby. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I've only got three and Tom's got four. I keep losing count, Tom. They keep... <laughs> but that's it, isn't it? And it's like, and it's great with all these babies around. Everyone's saying, oh, babies, I love it. Now you might think, whoa, I, I, I'm not married. Oh, oh, we can't have kids. Hold your, hold your horses. We're going to get there. So we see this brilliant world that we're meant to stoop down, to work, to get our hands dirty, to create this world, to be fruitful and increase. And God says, he says it later to a guy called Abraham, I'm going to bless you so that, does remember, so that he can be a blessing. We're blessed to be a blessing. We're not blessed so that we can be, oh yeah, nice car, Ferrari, you know, nice house. No, we're blessed to be a blessing. Whether it's financially or whatever, blessed to be a blessing. And so God blessed us and makes us in his image to be little images of what is it like to be like God. So when we go through the earth, we're supposed to act like God, be like God, do things that God would do. That means be good to people. But the world is bust. Decreations come in. I don't know. We want decreation. It's like the idea of this black hole. Uh, I've used this image before, but it's almost like this black hole that sucks everything in. Instead of like God saying, "Let there be light," bang, fill the earth, bang, make make humanity spread out. There's this everything closes in. Decreations. Best one on this is Will I Am. Does anybody know what he says in that great song that I used at someone's wedding? Where is the love? And he says, something's wrong with this big wide world. Yeah? Something's wrong with it. Something's, yeah? Whatever. Just like when I am. Yeah, I did it, yeah. Yeah, he can't sing either. But he's cool and he's a record producer. But, but there's a set, something's wrong with this big wide world. Something's gone. It's almost like this big wide world has cracked. Something's broken. We've, we struggle to live as who we really are. We struggle to live in our identity and purpose. And what's happened is sin and brokenness has entered the story. The garden kingdom, this lovely place that God started building and creating for us, as, as sin has unleashed this tornado that's kind of twisted and distorted and distor- damaged God's creation. So this slippery snake comes in with a lie that says God is the bad guy in this story. God's the bad guy in this story. Says God, you know, that Adam and Eve, I think they must have known that God was this poured out, stooped down, self-giving, blessing, liberating, loving king. But, but the slippery serpent says no. He's the grasping, turned in, self-serving, enslaving tyrant. And truth's inverted. Instead of everybody thinking God is good, everyone thinks God is bad. You do the Alpha course and you talk to people, you know, their big, their first thing, God's bad. We're good. I'm fine. Yeah, humanity, we're okay. God, you're the bad guy. You've done this and you've done that and you want it for yourself and you want to restrict us and you want to put rules in place and you want to, you're the bad guy in this story. And where does that come from? It comes from that first moment where Adam and Eve, instead of saying, God, you pour out in us, they grasp the fruit and says, I'm going to be in charge of my own story. Paul says we turned from pure devotion to Jesus. Maybe they didn't know it, maybe they did, but I think they walked with him in the garden. And humanity is this, now this, 
twisted and distorted version of what we're supposed to be. Interestingly, we become exactly what they said God is like. The lie that God is a black hole, grasping, turned in, self-serving. We've become like that. Hosea 4, which is this like, bang, hit me in the face passage, says this. There's no faithfulness. Is this Cheltenham? Is this England? Is this South Africa? Is this the world? There's no faithfulness. Just pause there. I read uh, the other day, uh, two-thirds of of kids are going to experience some kind of relational breakup in some family somewhere. Two-thirds. No faithfulness, no love, no acknowledgement of God in the land. There's only cursing and lying, murder, stealing, adultery. They break all bounds and bloodshed follows bloodshed. Because of this, the land dries up and it wastes away. In other words, what we're like has made the world a mess. You know, as if people think, oh, God's not interested in the environment. We've made the world a mess. Creation begins to unravel. Rather than God's blessing, the earth is full of violence and chaos and destruction and disorder. And the bottom line is decreation leaves us empty. So we go to the bottom of the story. But, but God hasn't left it like that. The, the, the end of the story, the story, the bit that we live in now, is actually what's God been doing. And he's been, he's been shaping it so, to change the world, so actually to make it new. Now it's interesting, uh, some of you, I might, I'll do a turn to a neighbour bit, what happens to the earth at the end? Why don't you turn to your neighbour and answer that question? What happens to the earth at the end? Okay. You've basically probably got one of two answers. But there's a kind of Star Trek answer where the world is getting burned and destroyed and this terrible planet's getting all burned. And what happens is Christians go, beat me up, Jesus. You know, and we arrive in heaven. And it's kind of like, hey, here we are in heaven. We're just disembodied spirits just hanging out with God, playing the harp yeah, or guitar hello you know we're just kind of hanging out with god and that and it's like all a bit vague and a bit like disembodied and the world gets burned the world gets destroyed you know armageddon it's all yeah that that, that's the kind of picture we have in our heads isn't it and you think man do i want to go and just sit in a cloud and play play guitar well, maybe if we could play like the edge, that sounds good, doesn't it? But no, I don't really want to do that. What's happened? But actually, that's not the Bible story. That's Greek mythology that you get to hang out with the gods and the, the world is bad. There's one event in human history that tells you that the world is good and it's not just the creation of humanity. Something more profound happens right in the middle of this story that tells you the earth is good. Does anyone want to play? Jesus is the answer. We're just looking for more specifics here, Paul. Jesus is... What says the world is good about Jesus? Christmas. <laughs> you always do that, Spandy. Here, clip that on. Um, okay, no. Jesus' resurrection says the world matters. Jesus didn't beam up to the cloud and say, come join me. His resurrection. Here, come on, feel my hands. This is where the nails went. Come on the side feet. Look, I'm really alive. This, that is a, a, a sure sign that God is about making something new. That your matter matters. What you do with your body matters. Your matter matters. Christian life is about lived in the flesh. It's not just a spiritual thing. That's the whole thing in the Corinthian church. That they thought, well, as long as I'm acting spiritual and doing spiritual gifts, it doesn't matter if I go sleep with someone. What? No, what you do with your body matters. It's not just a spiritual game we're in. So, and actually at the end of the story, the classic end of the other end, so Genesis, Revelation, remember the two bookends, 
It says, Revelation 21, it says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. Right there you go. Stop. I thought it was new. Let's come back to that. I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth have passed away. Well, it's definitely been burned up, isn't it? Surely. I saw the holy city, a new Jerusalem, coming out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among look God's dwelling is now among people and he will dwell with him and they will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and there'll be no more death you see the kind of decreation stuff that God's going to get rid of that no more mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away and then he who's sitting on the throne says behold I'm making everything new it does sound like God's going to make this thing brand new He's going to ditch the old thing, burn all that. That was a total mistake. That was a total mess. Let's make a new one. But actually, just a little bit of cleverness here. Uh, the word, there's two words in the language of the Bible, the Greek, for, for new. One is neo. Think matrix. Neo means new. So you get neoclassical and all that. Neo means new. And that's kind of brand new. But there's another word, kainos, which means new order. Sounds like a good band name. New order, new quality, new nature. There's something renewed. And actually the Bible is, is saying, actually that's the word that's used here. It's renewed or restored or rebirthed. Rebirth. So, so actually John is saying, I saw a renewed heaven. The stuff that was broken has been renewed, it's been fixed. A renewed earth, a renewed Jerusalem. And God declares, I'm renewing all things. And how does God do this? Let's go real quick. Have you got that double? Yeah. So he starts with Abraham, make, calls him to be a nation. They, they, they're in slavery in Egypt. They, they, there's death, there's Passover, there's decreation. They come out of, in, out of slavery, out of the Red Sea, into the Promised Land. Everything seems to be going well. And then what happens is they mess up, they follow idols. David is made the king. They follow idols. They uh, do all the stuff that they shouldn't do. And so they're exiled out of the land. And then God comes and restores them and says, I'm going to make everything new. There's a Messiah coming. So you get this pattern in the story of God blessing the nations and making them new. So we come to the hero of the story. I'm thinking, when is he going to get to the hero of the story? Adam fails. Adam sins, messes up. Adam, the nation of Israel, fails, messes up. But then God sends, we're looking for someone who's going to image humanity because we're not do, we're image God because humanity is not doing it real well. And the answer is Jesus. This is what it says about Jesus. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the exact representation of his being. Here's someone who's truly a person, truly in God's image, who's going to come and enter the fallen world and fix it. Philippians 2. This is it. See if you can spot the inverted parabola in this one. Oh, it's there. Well done. So I made it easy. Jesus, who though being in the form of God did not count equality with God something to be grasped. So he is God right up there. But made himself nothing, took the form of a servant, being born in likeness of the image of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself, became obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Therefore God exalted him, bestowed on him the name that's above every name, so at the name of Jesus, every knee uh, should bow in heaven and on earth and under earth and confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Do you see that parabola pattern? So what's happening on the cross is Jesus is making the world new. 
darkness and self-serving and enslaving and sin and death is getting him and trying to kill him. The darkness, remember we had darkness at the beginning of the story. It's, it's almost like re, decreation's happening. But, but, but Jesus is like dead and rising saying recreation. Jesus, I've written here, that Jesus the perfect image of the invisible God. Lives a poured out, stooped down, self-giving, blessing life and dies a cross-shaped death Imaging God, who is the poured out, sinner-forgiving, liberating one. And actually, the interesting thing is that it, 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 Paul, Paul says that we're going to be like him. It says, just as we born the, the, the image of the man of dust, so will bear the image from the man of heaven. When Jesus dies on the cross, that's what God's truly like. And that's what he calls us to say. If you want to image God, this is the journey I want you to take. I want you to come die. And when Jesus has died and rose again, he then does something interesting. We, we'll land this and get some application in about five, two minutes. He says this, all, then Jesus came to them, he's died, he's rose again, says, Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son and the Holy Spirit, and teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you to the end of the earth, age. What's, what's happening here? Where have we seen this kind of thing before? We've seen it in Genesis right at the beginning. Go on, Flick. Yes. Fill the earth and have authority over it. Be fruitful and increase. Bless and fill the earth. So that God's abandoned it and we're on a different story now. Now God is saying, you're now in this story. If you're a disciple of Jesus, you're to have not physical children. What do we call them here? Spiritual or gospel children. When I see people become Christians, see people, they're taken out of their life, their, their, their story where they, they think that God's bad and they're struggling to get the world together and decreation's everywhere and marriages is busting up and society's busting up and something's wrong with it. To take them out of that story and say, no, you're going to be caught in the updraft of Jesus' resurrection. You're going to be caught in the updraft of God making everything new. He's going to remake you. Go and make disciples of all nations. This is a purpose of God's humanity, to be fruitful, have gospel children, increasing and filling the earth with those born again with this kainos, renewed life, who image God as baptized Jesus followers. So what are we supposed to do? What are we supposed to do as if we're Christians? That what's the kind of thing that gives us identity and meaning and purpose? It's this, this mission statement, isn't it? This is what gives us meaning and purpose. It's actually saying we're in the business of looking out where there's decreation, where there's mess up, where there's sin, where there's death, and we're saying where there's grasping, we're going to turn it to open-handedness. Where there's turned in, we're going to turn it out. Where there's self-serving, it's going to become self-giving. Where there's enslaving, we're going to bring freedom. Where there's a dark black hole, we're going to be the bright light. You get it? It's what we're doing. So what's the good thing about that is that actually Jesus is saying that's who your story is supposed to be. He says, I am with you always. At the end of this, he says, surely I'm with you always. You know, sometimes we can think that God's with us in great meetings. Great church meetings, great Sunday meetings. God's with us in those things and he's not with us very much in the other stuff of everyday life. But actually God says, when you're doing this, I'm really with you. When you're living a gospel life, when you're living a life that says, we want to get out of this building and reach people for Jesus, that is when you're really, really living, where Jesus is really with you. Let me take, make two comments. 
Let me talk about Sundays. We haven't talked about Sundays, uh, God first, real much. But I said at the beginning that, that if God creates a space, he wants to fill it. Now, what, now actually, this, this, this passage says, go and fill the whole earth. Seems massive, doesn't it? How did he get started on that one? How did God get started with Adam and Eve to fill the whole earth? Where did they start? You can answer. In the garden, a little garden. He says, just get a little garden and work that. You guys, everybody, guys, girls, you've got a little garden where God has already got started for you. It's your family, it's your neighbours, it's your workplace, it's the people up and down your street, it's the people you connect with in whatever setting. That's a little garden that God has said, I want you to image me in that garden. Be like me, be blessed so you can be blessing. That's what we've got. We've got a little garden. And we start, church starts like that. It starts with a little garden. It starts a front room and then it goes to a club. That was a bit of a fail. And then it went to the Hester's Way Community Centre, which was kind of big, big enough, but we felt, well, and then we went to Pates. And as God takes us, we got to say, no, we grow into increase. What's our aim? To fill this. But really we're after what? Gospel children, Gospel children that fill the whole earth. Yeah. That's what we're about. This is, this is our purpose. This is our work. So I am, uh, we're supposed to be a temple where God dwells by His Spirit. So I'm praying, I want you to pray for me, for God to fill this place. Wouldn't that be great? Now, how long is that going to take him? We don't know. Greg said decades. I'm thinking, man, I'm dead. You know, sooner or later, we have to get this thing moving and I've got to get out of the way. If we're really going to make it happen, aren't we? Not because I'm the bad guy, but because actually I'm not the hero in the story. Thank you, Jesus. We are here together to get this done. So I'm praying for next year, and I want you to join me in this, we fill the downstairs, one, two, six. But we're going to have to do what they did in the garden. We're going to have to stoop down and get our hands dirty. Stoop down and get our hands dirty. That's what God, did, Jesus' Father did in the garden. That's what this word from Greg was. You're going to have to get your hands dirty. So that means, it means that the, the, the musicians, they were great, weren't they? Yeah, really good they practiced super good and they did well and we kind of get, trying to get the sound right and it's great to uh, have some help on that we're gonna have to learn that but but you know the, it might mean that instead of like doing it one in four or one in three you did every other week oh man and i know and i wish i could play and we've got one drummer good to have you josh <laughs> He's got two little kids and a Levi, and but we need more drummers. We need more music. <laughs> well, he has got two little ones. Levi looks like a giant now, doesn't he? It's like isn't it funny? Like they have a kid and they think, well, a little Levi, and then they have another one. Oh man, Levi, you're a giant. <laughs> we need the musicians are going to have to step up. PA guy, set up guys. This looks like a win for us, doesn't it? <laughs> it's like the seats are out, the kit's all there, plug and play. We just need to pray for our PA guys to actually know what to do. There's all that kit out there. I think, man, I'm out of my pay grade already. But we're going to have to stoop down and get this done. And we, and, it, and we have to work on this Sunday. The other thing, let me just say this. You need to fill these seats. You need to fill these seats. So I know there's always loads of reasons why you can be away on a Sunday. And this is not about legalism, this is about filling what God has given us. I think if we're here, uh, the, the most of us, I know there's a few visitors, but if we're here this morning, if we are here, we can fill this place, someone comes in and think, wow, God's here, God's winning. We, if we're all away, you know, I, I wrote down some, you need to might say no to that weekend away. But I'm just saying between September and December, September, November, if you really want to fight me, 
Say no to that weekend away. Say no to that seven night stag do that your friends invited you on. Say no to that uncle that you've never heard of's garden party that you say, no, I'm not going to that. You know, say no to that lazy morning in bed. I'll just pause there. Say no to that sports event. No. I'm going to be here because I'm called to fill the place. Not to be a bum on seat, but to fill it. Now, it's not legalism. It's saying, if we're together, we're going to image God so much better than if it's just me. I'm going to be here, not because it's my job, but because I'm part of this big story. I was doing this before they paid me. I want you to be there. One leader said to me, uh, don't move to, uh, into this venue because you're going to look, you're going to rattle and it's going to look like a big fail and you can't fill it and you haven't got the musicians. I want to prove him wrong. Not of my own pride, but I think, no, that's not true. God first, we can fill this building. Can't we? We can fill it and make it buzz and we can see people who don't know Jesus find Jesus. We can see people whose lives are in decreation find creation. We can see people who used to walk with Jesus find life again. Can we do that? Yes. That's what we're about, guys. That's what we want to do. Let me say something about time. I mentioned it already, didn't I, about how time you feel exhausted. If you're in the middle of your own story, you feel exhausted. But I heard this guy uh, called Pete Hughes. He's a great guy. He leads a church in uh, London called KXC. He says, when we, not KFC, yeah, sorry, suddenly I'm drawn to greasy chicken. Yes, it's calling me. Will you shut up, Howard? Because, because greasy chicken is more important than the gospel, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Greasy chi- I've got loads of important things to do, which is exactly my point. When you say you're busy, this is what Pete Hughes says. I thought, he's bold. He's got 320-somethings in his church. He said... He calls them slacktivists, actually. <laughs> slacktivists. Like, I want to do something meaningful, but man, I'm too busy. Yeah, and he's in London. And he says, what we're saying is that when you say I'm too busy, you're saying I'm really important. Do you know how we do that? How you, oh man, I'm busy. How's the church going? Man, busy. Busy, busy. Do you know what we're saying is I am the important person in the center of this universe. Do you know, if I'm not here, God still builds. If I'm asleep, God does it. You think, well, I'll just stay home then. But actually, God has called us to partner with him. What we're saying is, the world's, the, there's a story bigger than my own story. There's a story bigger than that stag weekend, or that garden party, or those few friends from wherever that I'm going to hook with. That we're in a bigger story. We're trying to say, no, it's not about us grasping our time. But we're saying, oh, well, we're giving our time away. So I want you to be here. We say about money, ten thousand pounds. That's not much. I know churches with million-pound building projects, but for us, ten thousand is a lot, isn't it? Right now, it's like two months' money. So it's quite a lot of money. But what? What do we give our money for? It's not to keep me employed. I've prayed. Guys, I tell you, I've had moments where I've been face down when this church has been like, oh man, I said, God, I don't want to do this job anymore. I don't need this. I, 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 can you find me a teaching job even with all the Ofsted and the box ticking and all the nonsense that goes on? It's got to be better than this. Now there's times like this morning where I think, oh, I wouldn't want to do anything else. What a great thing to do. But I know that I, I get paid. But, you know, I would, I'd love this even if I wasn't getting paid. That's what I used to do. And I know that it's just like you guys. So we're not ultimately giving our money just to kind of keep the institution going, are we? We're saying we want to win gospel children. We want to say, I don't want to be a little consumer, a little grasper, 
a little me at the center of my world. I want to be one that's giving it away. I believe we're going to grow. I, I, I think this is amazing that we're here. I think like they could have made a better building for us. We're going to grow. And so we want to give our money to grow. You know, the, church, the world expects the church to be a footnote at the end of the 21st century. But we know a different story, don't we? We know a different story. We know that the church is going to be the center of the whole thing. We are the agents of recreation. In fact, somebody uh, came to me, uh, sent me a text that says, Little flock, it's the Father's pleasure to give you, do you know how it finishes? Give you the kingdom. It's going to give us the whole thing. We get to inherit the whole thing. Everybody else chasing time, money, pleasure, they get nothing. So a black hole, never fall. We get to inherit the whole thing. A friend of mine, um, and he's here this morning, so I'm sorry to quote him. He said, he says, moving to the parabola says to Cheltenham you're here and you mean business. I thought, oh, that's nice. We're at a nice do, sit on a table, having some food. And, and I'm chatting to this guy and he just said, you know, it means you mean business. That's great. He's here this morning. But man, man we mean business, don't we? We want to tell Cheltenham that we're here. The best way to do that is what? You to tell your friends, wow, it's great. This is so exciting. We're here. But we're going to have to spend some money. I mean, I think somebody's going to flash, flash mob choir. Somebody suggested flash mob choir. I don't know. I'm trying to look for that person. Somebody suggested the good old helium balloons that we've done before. You know, we might have to. Paul has been tasked. Find us a publicity method, but it's going to cost money. We're going to do it. <laughs> everybody, you read Jesus' story. I'm done, nearly done. In Jesus' story, every single person who was significant in the story, they got their money. Abraham gave 10% away. Uh, David said, I'm not going to give you a sacrifice that costs me nothing. Everybody understands it. Understands God's story, says it's not about my money. So, this is where we are. We are at the point where I think, and I know I've been long, but we are at the point where this could be just the most exciting adventure right now. Some of us have been here from the start. Some of you joined recently. Some of you are thinking, I, I might be joining. I think this could be a great adventure. And we're not going head-to-head with the other churches. It's brilliant that Trinity's story is 15 people to 1,000. Imagine being part of that great adventure. But there's space for us. There's space for what we're doing. Not to see just loads of Christians transfer across, but to see gospel children feel, feel these things. There's a friend of mine, I'll finish with this. There's a friend of mine called uh, Damien. And uh, he came and spoke at our Alpha Meal. Did anyone, was anyone there? Spoke, uh, Damien? He got, when we planted a church in Manchester, Naomi and I, this guy got a leaflet on the street. No, his mum actually got a leaflet on the street. She stuck it on the mantle. They have mantles in Manchester. Put it on the street. On there, and she says, and her son Damien's just got out of prison for armed robbery. And uh, she says to Damien, You want to get down to that church? You're all such a, well, I won't say exactly what she said, but you know, you're, su- you're such a, an object of decreation. <laughs> <laughs> you need to get down there. He comes to the church, like 15, 10 guys smoking outside. I'd had people saying to me, What are these people smoking? Wait, it's, well, it's not church, is it? And there's kind of tattoos and whatever. He thought, I'm going to feel right at home here. He came in, and the girl, the, the girl that met him on the door, uh, he said, she was just so amazing. There was just something about her. It's a bit like the guys that said to us about football, isn't it? Do you know there's something about you guys? It's Jesus. He meets this girl. The guy's preaching says, 
Come and, if you want to follow Jesus, I'd say to him, don't do it, Jimmy. It's just a stupid idea. Come and kneel at the front of church. I'm thinking, no one's going to do that. They wouldn't put their hands up. He said, come and kneel at the front. No one comes to the front of church. This guy, armed robber, bit of a drug user, violent father, multiple mess-ups in his family, three or four different fathers for different kids, comes to the front. He is like an object of ultimate decoration. And the gospel just got hold of him. The following Tuesday, he came to our Alpha course. It was like halfway through. He said, I don't know, but I need to do this. Now, he'd met, there'd been little things that God had done with him in prison. But his life is transformed. I see him on Facebook, Facebook, and they've got great kids. He's married to the girl that first met him on the door. So if you're single, get on the welcome to. <laughs> married to the first person that's on the door. He's now in charge of IT at the university. He'd never had a job. He said to me when he first became a Christian, I can't stick a job at McDonald's. Man, I can't stick a job. But he's a great story. And we've got one or two stories where God is well like that. But I just want a story after story after story after story after story after story. After story. Wouldn't that be brilliant? Isn't that worth giving your time and your money for? But the reason we don't is because we don't believe that God can do it. We think, no, we can't do it. We're not really about something. But we're going we're gonna to give now, if you want to. Some of you know I've already put it in. But I'm excited about this. Just stand with me, okay? Just take a moment just to reflect that you're part of that story. God's given you that same command he gave to Adam to be fruitful and increase. Bless the earth. And he says, I'm with you in it. He stooped down and started the project. Every little church that started. You know, our friends and brothers in, in Joburg starting churches. Friends across the nations starting churches. In this town, starting churches. Is there a need for another church? Yeah, because there's 100,000 people in this town. 110,000 people in this town that don't know Jesus. Decreations tugging away at them. The distorted life. No faithfulness, no love. No acknowledgement of God. But we're here, a little army of recreationists. Going to bring the word of Jesus, the gospel of Jesus. So they can sing with us, this is Jesus in his glory. The poured out, self-giving one. Wow, what a God, what a gospel. If only they could see it. Lord, we just pray, fill these seats. Yeah, we pray for workers to harvest. We pray for some Christians who can help us get it done, who can bend down, stoop down, make it happen. But Lord, we pray that, that, that out of this building, into our everyday lives, the gospel would flow. I pray this time next year, you'd better get early to get a seat in the stalls. Lord, I pray, give us growth. You promised it. Be fruitful and increase and fill the parabola, fill Cheltenham, fill the nation with church plants, fill the nations. And then, Jesus, you're going to come again and you're going to be cl- declare, behold, I have made everything new. Lord, catch us up in this great story. We say there's nothing better. Let's worship Jesus. For more information, visit our website at godfirst.org.uk.